Welcome back to Less Than 10, an EVE Online small gang PvP podcast. My name is Blood Ruin, and I have taken over the show. That's right, I've kicked Pharaoh out. We're going full dictator on this. Uh, I'm actually just kidding. Uh, Pharaoh is moving this week, and so he, uh, he there's a lot of logistics around um, not having a computer available and, uh, and just time and, and stuff like that. So, as a replacement... I've invited my very good friend and corp mate, Yan Shartuskiski, however you say your last name. Yan, what are you up to, my friend? Hey, Blood. I'm glad to uh, be able to come in and help you guys out and be a guest again on your podcast. Hopefully, Faye is uh, having a good time and moving. Yeah, I'm hoping that things go smooth, but uh, yeah. You've been on a few of our episodes, like you, Dracastis. It's it's nice just having court mates that, like, I mean, we know really well and kind of fun to, like, just discuss different mechanics with. I think everyone kind of has, like, different experiences and, and uh, kind of perspectives on some mechanics. So it's cool to get little tweaks and, and different, um, you know, tidbits of knowledge from people. So, um but yeah, uh, last episode, Pharaoh and I had wanted to do a mini masterclass on bubbles and kind of ran out of time. Um, and so we're going to start with that um, and, and kind of outline the different types of bubbles and, and then talk about some of the ways that people use them, some of the more interesting kind of like niche elements that are kind of cool to, to do as well. Um, yeah. Let's start off with the types of ships that can use interdiction spheres. Um, there's two types of ships. There's uh, a standard interdictor. Um, those are Tech 2 destroyers. And they're a lot of times used in, in really mobile kind of situations. And the other are heavy interdictors. And those are um, a little bit more beefy ships. Um, and they, they use them in different ways. Um, so Yan, I know you, you fly dictors a lot, right? Usually if I want to fly a dictor, I'm going to be flying it with my all and I'm using it more as like a flow, throwaway tackle. It's not so much as like a, like, like you can fly like a nano Eris and it actually has pretty decent application and range, but there's just other ships that fill that role so much better. So generally if I'm going to be flying a dictor, it's going to be everybody's go-to saber with just like a cloak, a scram, double double hyperspatial, and like minimum like meta tank, nano damage control, I think, and just a regular MWD. Yeah. And it's just it's literally pur- purposed just to be a flo- throwaway ship that I can help with a gate camp. I can block a enemy group for, that's trying to chase us somewhere, or we can we can catch a pod here and there. <laughs> yeah, or you know, hold down a, a capital or something. So on interdictors, they have a module that goes in their high slot. It is a interdiction sphere launcher, and think of like a probe launcher. 
uh, charges get loaded as ammunition and um, and you can deploy them. So on those specific uh, ships, those charges, the bubbles as they as they get launched, they they launch at the point of your ship where your ship is becomes the central point, and those bubbles have a twenty kilometer radius um, so uh, of of interdiction. Um, and so a lot of times you'll see these ships because they can move around somewhere set up and then deploy a bubble um oftentimes they'll be they'll you know warp onto a grid grid and bubble or um or something along those lines um the probe launcher can hold up to three bubbles at one time and then they once all three are launched um it has to be reloaded and that takes 60 seconds so it's a pretty long reload time but each bubble lasts two full minutes so um, a really common tactic with these is to launch a bubble and use a cloak to then cloak in between. And, uh, and, and so that's a way to stay on grid a lot longer. Um, Ian, do you, have you ever had experience with this, the, the surgical probes, surgical warp disruption probes? Yes. I've used them mostly in like wormholes. So like if you have like a large system that you know has a root in between like like it has a high sec that and then on the other side is a C5 that you know people are doing logistics through. Like it's really good for because they last longer. Yeah, they last yeah. 10 minutes as opposed to uh, 2. Uh oh sorry. They last 3 minutes as opposed to 2. Uh yeah, so 180 seconds. Yeah, and then and you can just like have them up, and then as long as they don't have eyes on the hole, it's great for catching things, and it makes it so that you don't have to like be obvious. Like there's just like this bubble in the middle of space. Like what's that about? And then they'll land in their Iteron or Bustard or whatever, and you can uncloak your gang or whatever. That's the only time I've really ever used them. I haven't ever really seen them used in Null. Okay. Yeah, because they, they do have a smaller radius, and so I think that's why a lot of times they're less effective. Um, you know, if you're trying to hold down, like, a capital, um, you generally want more radius so that potentially, you know, if that ship has smart bombs or something, it doesn't destroy the bubble. The The charge itself does have, like, an HP amount, and so one of the ways to clear a bubble is to use a smart bomb and be very close to the central point of that bubble and um, and, and be able to destroy the charge. Um, they're also booshable, so you can use a uh, command destroyer to move bubbles away or towards something. Um, I don't see a whole lot of tactics around that because oftentimes it leaves your boosher trapped. I have seen people boosh bubbles off of capitals before, but that's about it. Um, yeah. Those those are like the most commonly used ones. I feel like is the this the interdictor um, bubbles uh, from from the from the ship itself. Um, I feel more so than the others. I feel like it's important to note too that uh, a lot of people also forget that you cannot like you can jump if you're pointed. You can't jump if you're pointed, and you can't jump if you're in a bubble. So like if something's tethered and you're trying to bump it off, like you know that. Like say a carrier's on a Raitaru or something, 
something where you can try and bump it off and you know it has like a log off timer of 15 minutes because it might have just fought you or something and then like a bunch of your buddies came in the system you can bump the thing off and if it's in known space it can't jump out if it's just bubbled gotcha yeah it can't employ the jump drive to to go to a sino somewhere but it could if you didn't have it bubbled like if you because obviously it can be tethered even though it's attached to that it's it's not like able to be pointed or shot but it can be bubbled so that it can't just either warp away or jump yeah uh that was a little confusing but i'm gonna trust that it made sense to our audience okay all right so the second type of ship is the heavy interdictor and they use interdiction spheres in a different way they have a module that generates a field, and it's an active module. It has to be run um, in order to generate the disruption field. Um, and it can be loaded with different scripts to affect its its use case. So um, for, for people who don't have experience with this, there's essentially three different modes. There's unscripted, which creates a sphere, a bubble of interdiction, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on. But you can also load a script that is a targeted script for disruption, has the same effects as a normal warp disruptor um, in in terms of you can still use a micro warp drive, but uh, you can't initiate a warp. And then there is a targeted scram script, which has a shorter range, but works as if a scrambler. Now, um, those scripts, the thing that is nice about them is they have an infinite, uh, isn't it infinite warp strength? Uh, like warp yeah. disruption points. So, like it can't, it can't, yeah. it can hold supers, it can hold titans, it can hold things that uh, have, lots have, of have natural warp disruption or warp yeah. uh, stability. And the other thing is it can keep uh, capitals from jumping a gate, correct? Yep. Yeah, but not, not subcapitals, just capitals. So it's a lot of times these are used more in specific instances of trying to catch supers or capitals um, that are moving and not only stop them from, from uh, using their jump drive to go to a sino, but also keep them from even going through a gate um, and and get kills that way. So the module has a 30 second cycle time. And as you, uh, for, for the bubble, as you overheat, it actually reduces that cycle time. Um, and so, uh, but that's not super common uh, to, to overheat it. Um, there used to be some other attributes a while back when uh, when Hicks could go like 9k, 10k a second. So, but thank goodness that got changed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, those those are the days when like a Hick would go at you at like super crazy fast. You know, going 10k a second and had like a 39km scram. That was so brutal. But, uh, it was horrible. I remember being in like Delve or in areas such like that that you'd just be like, you'd be like, "Ha I'm getting away," and then you'd literally just see this square move directly over to you, bubble up, and scram you. And, and it's then, like, and then you sino, like usually, usually you're like the 50 next kilometers away. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the sino, and you're just like, "Well, I'm dead." 
Yeah, uh, that was rough. That was, that was a rough time. Um, so the bubbles are affected. The the distance the bubble is created from the heavy interdictor is affected by skills and also by the type of module. Um, as far as the the tech level. So Yan, do you want to run us through the the different bubbles and and kind of their ranges? Uh sure. So you have uh, first of all T one. So its base is like sixteen kilometers. They cost about one million isk, and with max skills in your hick, they are twenty kilometers. Uh, the second is going to be T two. You have a twenty kilometer base with that. They're about four and a half million, and twenty five kilometers with max skills. Then you can go to meta or faction. So meta is going to have longer than T one. It's going to have an eighteen kilometer base. Then it still costs about the same as a T1 at about 1 mil. And then 22.5 kilometers max skills. So with max skills, you're still better than a regular T2 is without, um, with, with no max skills. And then you have faction, which is 21 kilometer base, the best overall. But like for the true Sancha, I think it's 67-ish mil, 66.5. And then it was over 120 mil for the uh, for the, the Concord. Concord. Yeah, but they have a 21 kilometer base with a 26.2 kilometer with max skill. Uh, and and the main reasons to fit the meta ones, at least, is usually related to like fitting or um, capacitor usage. Since they are an active module, they do use capacitor. Um, it's usually kind of like a you know, a, a later thought in your fitting decisions, but it is something to consider. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, but a lot of people, when you start using heavy interdictors, a lot of people are going to be using the Concord or yeah, the faction variant because they're just so effective. Um, so those different options with the scripts, um, I'll just kind of give blanket kind of ranges with the focused disruption script a heavy interdictor will um, point out between 30 and 39 depending on that pilot skills and the the module fitted and then with the focus scram it can be between 16 and 21 22 right in there um, so but really I think it's 21 point something 21.7 or something so um, but that's that's kind of the ranges you want to keep in your mind if you're facing off with one of these guys, um, and they're they're kind of uh, they can be scary, but uh, the counterbalance is they're usually kind of slow and um, and yeah, try to work around them on grid. The last type of bubble is not coming from a ship; it is a uh, anchorable structure that you can put out in space. You can anchor it takes an anchoring skill and it deploys a interdiction sphere and these are are really commonly used uh, in nullsec to kind of block off uh, areas as well as you can set one of these up and kind of hang out and uh, and camp it uh, if if you place it in line with a, a gate or something along those lines you can use it very advantageously to catch people moving and uh, and to kill them so um there's different sizes there's small medium and large 
and within those sizes there's tech one and tech two and those are what determine the size of the interdiction sphere the the radius so with small uh, tech one is going to be five kilometers and tech two is 7.5 radius uh, with a medium uh, it's tech one is 11.5 and tech two is 17 um, and with a large tech one is 26.5 and tech two is 40 kilometers and all of these have different HP amounts. The Tech Two are much, much harder to kill, uh, but they, you know, they they have the added cost associated with them. They're they're a lot more expensive, and then they also they will slowly decay over time. And uh, and so uh, if you aren't, so you know, if in Nullsec they're just left on a gate to kind of block off an area, eventually they will decay. They have to be picked up and re-anchored in order to kind of refresh that. Um, and and then they can also be uh, killed just by shooting them. Now, it's like really important to talk about how bubble mechanics work in overall. Um, the mechanic is structured in a way that it's based off of your warp vector and where you will be landing. And if you are landing in a position that is in line with a bubble, uh, that bubble will pull your ship or stop your ship um, if your landing point is within 500 kilometers of that bubble. So like your warp vector has to pass through the bubble's location in order for it to take into effect. And so that's where using tactical bookmarks is, is really, really key. Um, now, that 500 kilometer number is really interesting. And I've seen some cool stuff done with it. And Yan, you were kind of talking about a tactic I actually had never really known about. Um, but if if someone is warping and the, 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 the 500 kilometer mark is based off the center of the bubble. So if the bubble was anchored at a location that is 498 kilometers from that person's landing point like say a gate it will pull them but if it's at if the center of the bubble is at 502 or something along those lines it won't pull them and so i the tactic i've seen being used before is someone will take a small bubble remember this only has like a five kilometer radius and they will place it right at 498 from a gate in line with another gate and then just outside of that at like 502 they will place a large bubble and a large bubble has a radius of 26 so it actually envelops the smaller bubble but because of the mechanic being having a, a designated range of 500 kilometers when an enemy ship warps from gate to gate it, and the warp vector passes through both bubbles, the mechanic will check and it will say, okay, the large bubble is out of range, doesn't affect the person's warp, but the small bubble is in range, that's the one that will pull them, and they will land in the edge of the bubble, and as a result, they will be inside very close to the middle of the large bubble. And, uh, and, and that can be a, a tactic that I've seen used where people use that extra space to really like catch someone really firmly. 
And Yan, you were talking about a, a tactic that somebody does with a heavy interdictor that works off the same principle, but like I, I never really knew about. Yeah, like they'll use like a T1 bubble, they'll have that up. And then like this will be like on the, in the same sort of idea as using the small with the large right next to it. And you just have the T1 bubble up. And then when you see somebody landing, you'll pop on your faction or T2. And so you'll have like an extra five kilometers. And then you'll have like an interceptor run forward and scram the dude and then have your way with them. Yeah, I just like I I now that you brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that can be done. I just had never encountered it. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, <laughs> weird. Um, so and then going kind of back to Hicks, um, you wanted to talk about kind of some of the circumstances or reasons to use a script or not use a script, right? Yeah. So a lot of times, especially in like medium to small gang, you'll need to tackle something and you'll need to rep it. So Hicks are very, very, very well tanked. They have very good natural resists and you can get them to like, even since when I started playing in like, like hardcore for PvP in like 2012, 2011. Like I've always known that that Hicks can get monster tanks. They can get monster rep tanks, and they can get monster resist tanks. And so when you have this guy sitting here, and he's getting beaten up by a super, you want to be able to make it so that he can get reps. Well, if he has his bubble up, he can't get reps. If he's using a script, he can't get reps. But the moment he turns those off, if you have like two Hector pilots that are cycling their their scram or or disrupt scripts, you can rep one, and it's a shorter cycle for the script, while the other one puts on his tackle, so that you can maintain tackle. Yeah, you can maintain that point, but you're trading off so that you can get reps. Yeah, and especially when you're fighting like a super or something that has like pretty strong volley potential, you know, or it will will eat through a a, a heavy interdictor. Um you'll need to survive, you know, and, and get reps, so um and you can't do that if you have your your tackle running. Nope. <laughs> yeah, so that's a really good thing to point out. Um Kind of the last thing in this kind of mini masterclass is I remember watching a YouTube series made by John Drees, and it's just really well produced um, called The Art of the Poor. And um, he, he's just a great narrator and, and makes some really high production videos. But uh, in, in, that in that series, if I remember correctly, he, he did kind of focus on some really. Um, sustainable ways to use bubbles uh for catching people moving through areas and and to kind of do sustainable pvp so i'll link that in the show notes um i think that's like a really great resource for newer players and um it, it's presented super well so i always like to promote those kinds of things as well um but yeah uh it's kind of our, our mini masterclass on bubbles it's not you know a massive massive topic but there's some really interesting things you can do um around them i also like was thinking back i i've seen people use like bombers to deploy a bomb and blow up a bubble um stuff like that so there's there's multiple considerations you generally you might 
depending on the situation, you might need to kind of think about, um, you know, accidentally if you're if you're bombing on a super or a, or a carrier or something, you do a bombing run, but it it accidentally clears off your bubbles, then um, that carrier could probably just get away or you know something along those lines. So. Did you talk about drag versus stop? No, but it's based off the same mechanic. It's based off the 500k mechanic, right? So Yeah. Did you want to mention it and then like cut it back in somewhere earlier? That's a good I mean cuz I think that's important because like drag versus stop is like something that I would think would be included because it's it's an important variant cuz people could be like could be flying a scepter after they heard this master class and be like fleet it's okay to warp this is on the other side of the gate <laughs> their whole fleet's like pulled into a stop bubble and you and they're just like well screw blood <laughs> <laughs> well and i guess yeah so so stop versus drag a stop bubble is in front of the object that you would be landing at and a drag bubble is behind but if that if that bubble is less than 500 kilometers behind, it will still pull the ship to to that bubble, and so that's why it's called drag and, and stop bubbles. Um, I guess another thing to mention is there are certain ships that are immune to interdiction, right? Um, so uh, Tech Three cruisers have certain subsystems you can put on that allow you to warp while in an interdiction sphere. And then um, interceptors, the um, not the combat interceptors, but uh, what are they called? Scout interceptors or uh, you know tackle whatever. I, the stiletto malediction uh, crow. Is it the crow or is it the raptor? No, it's the raptor. And um, uh, stiletto malediction raptor and Ares. Yeah, those are the ones. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm like i'm like really all you all you should be flying is stiletto malediction so um but uh those ones can warp inner uh through from bubbles and they're, they don't get pulled by bubbles so that's like the the reason you should always have an interceptor in your gang um for scouting uh and also tackle but like definitely for scouting being able to get through bubbles like that is a uh, pretty pretty useful and not getting caught out by a, a gate camp or something so yeah so the next thing i wanted to do was take an opportunity to highlight a article that was written by our corp ceo um, named bismarck and pharaoh and i have kind of been talking about ideas of ways to highlight things in the community that come up that we think are you know really well written or um, really interesting and so this is going to be kind of that opportunity what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through his article it's the topic is filaments and um, he, he kind of just brings up some really good and interesting points both for and against filaments and I know right now we're in an in-between stage filaments uh, were around for a period of time and we were told that they'd be coming back but we weren't given a, a defined timeline on that. And so at least for our corporation, we're kind of like in this holding pattern, just waiting for that to, to come around. So um, yeah, uh, here is the auto, audio version of an article written by Bismarck of Furnace. 
On the December 9th episode of Less Than 10 Podcast, episode 14, CCP Rise mentioned several times a holiday gift he wanted to share, but couldn't talk about yet. We now know that that gift was a new mechanic themed with the holidays that launches capsuleers into an abyssal tunnel, propelling them into a random null security system. For those not in the know, these filaments come in several variants. The first is the size of the fleet that they can hold ranging from 5 pilots to 20 pilots in intervals of 5. They also come in two different flavors, if you will. There's, there are activity-seeking filaments, the CMT05, CPD06, Prancer, or PRNCR03, and VXN04. The other filament versions uh, is purely random, in which null security systems it selects come from the Dancer line of filaments. DNCR. My experience thus far from the CMT05 and CPD06, my thoughts will be based off these two exclusively. The community seems generally positive on these new items brought to us by CCP Rise and his small crew who go by the go by Team Talos. While there are of course individuals who are not in favor of these filaments, Based on the community reception from the small gang community, Capsuleers on Reddit, and the EVE Online forums, and Twitter, seems to be overly positive. People like being launched into random null security systems in whatever ship and pod they may be in, and going from there. Personally, I love the addition to the game, and will explain in more detail. First, let's take a look at some of the counterpoints and potential issues of these filaments. What's bad about filaments? I have seen two primary arguments against filaments. The first is that it's a band-aid fix on the larger problem. Eve just takes too long to get into the action. I completely agree. As gamers, and more specifically gamers who enjoy an MMORPG, we've seen our genre wither over time. MMOs can be can be complex. They are a slow burn, often require social groups in order to complete major objectives, and for most activities, they take a serious time investment. EVE falls into all of these categories, and in most cases, the most hardcore of all of these categories. We've seen the talks from the Invasion Tour where CCP describes and shows player retention is low, extremely low. EVE simply isn't growing enough or getting new blood to keep the player base fresh. With that being said, our player base is growing old. For example, I started playing EVE when I was 17. I'm 30 today. I used to be rich in time and could spend hours rolling a static Nullsec wormhole. As a working adult, I simply do not have the time nor the mental energy to spend on hours of preparing something for what usually amounts to an approximately 5 minute engagement of fun. Filaments solve that issue of the prep time needed to have fun. At the same time, what makes EVE unique is that prep time. It's all the work that goes into setting up the fight, gank, heist, whatever it may be. This is an issue, and filaments are not the permanent solution. The second argument against filaments that I've seen, which builds upon the first argument, 
is that filaments bypass one of the greatest strengths and features of Eve, its geography. Eve is gargantuan. Its solar systems connect like a nervous system of the human body, creating choke points and static routes that roaming gangs must navigate to reach their destinations. But using filaments in this way bypasses that nervous system and has very little cost to the user of the filament. CCP Rise mentioned on episode 14 several times that Eve tries to balance by having a rock, paper, scissors type of system. For static wormholes, the investment is rolling ships and usually a tremendous amount of time. Currently, a five-person gang can pick up five filaments for under five million isk, practically no cost or investment needed. For this small fee, players are able to bypass choke points, gate camps, intel networks, and go straight into the heart of many constellations without warning. EVE isn't just about the destination, it's about the journey, and filaments eliminate a significant part of that journey. What's good about filaments? As I mentioned previously, I'm totally in favor of filaments, and for several reasons. My biggest reason why I am for them is because it modernizes what was once a strength of EVE, but I feel now is a barrier to entry for many EVE players. That's time. I mentioned how I am 30 and do not have the time to roll wormholes. The same goes for my corporation. We're simply burned out on the activity. I know what you may be thinking. Why are you in a wormhole then? For a small ganger, wormholes are really an addiction. We thrive on roaming different areas and fighting different groups. Part of what makes Eve robust is how many, uh, how every engagement is different from the last one, and roaming from a wormhole amplifies that by fighting different groups throughout the day. I still want that experience. My courtmates still want that experience, but we simply do not have the time or desire to spend that amount of time for fun when we could play another game and be rewarded with more time in a more timely manner. I said in my initial argument against filaments that the prep time was removed with our with our, their introduction. This can be solved depending on how CCP decides to reintroduce them into the EVE ecosystem. We read from a recent dev blog, Season's Greetings from Team Talos, that filaments will return. Some ideas I have seen in reintroducing filament extraction into the game include, but are not limited to, data sites, abyssal sites, faction warfare, and ESS. I won't go into detail about my thoughts on those potential filament extraction methods, but I think they all have some great potential in boosting an area of the game that may currently feel underwhelming, the exception being abyssal sites. I love the geography of EVE, the maps, the way in which systems connect and how best to transverse the landscape of EVE has always been an area of excitement and challenge for me. Outmaneuvering a gang that I'm trying to escape from and doing so on their home turf is just plain fun. I completely understand how filaments bypass that system, and by getting deep into Alliance territory, getting a few kills, warping to some rolling safes, then filamenting out, takes out the geography of EVE. I've long been an opponent to jump bridges, but now more recently, Ansiblex gates. Well, I feel that alliances who own space have earned the ability to jump, uh, to build it up, 
I think that Ansiblex gates have taken it too far, giving alliances another major advantage to their many already existing advantages. With a filament, I still have to dodge combat probes for 15 minutes, I have to regroup with my fleet in one safe spot and activate another filament. While, while it would be hard to catch us, it's not impossible. At the same time, the primary goal of the Alliance attempting to defend their space is to remove the roamers from their space. If we filament out, that still lets them achieve their objective. I've also fought a few gangs now that were also using filaments. I've seen capsuleers argue that filaments would mean roaming gangs wouldn't clash as much. This simply isn't true. One of the greatest engagements I've had so far from filaments was while roaming with Feral. We were in a Navy Osprey and a Navy Omen, and we fought against a few stabbers and interceptors, interdictor, and a Navy Osprey. Feral and I took out the interceptor, saber, a stabber, and came close to catching the Navy Osprey before we disengaged. Upon inspection of the stabber wreck, we found several filaments. In addition, their alliance was not associated with the owners of the region we were in, which was Delve. While chasing the gang around, we saw a local spike, and in came approximately 40 goon harpies. Pharaoh and I barely escaped into a safe before bouncing around and filamenting out of the area, ironically, in another pocket of Delve. The engagement we had with the other filament group was fun, and the escape from the goon gang was nerve-wracking, but rewarding, and subsequently filamenting out of the area brought that feeling of, on to the next adventure, but right away. I'm sure if I was using the filaments multiple times throughout the day that I would come across other roaming gangs, and that likeliness further excites me about the potential of these that these have in the future of EVE. CCP has a lot of work ahead of them to rejuvenate the game and modernize it in a way that retains its soul but also creates systems that don't require hours of investment to achieve something such as small engagement. Are filaments the, are filaments the answer? No. Do filaments show CCP understands some of the major issues with EVE and that they're willing to experiment? I think that is a resounding yes. Remember, CCP Rise stated one of the goals of Team Talos is to iterate on features. They may add a new feature that doesn't work the way they intended the first go-around, but will revisit for refinement. I know a lot of veterans may read the, that statement and think, yes, but classic CCP, soon TM. I get it. I've been playing a long time too and know what that means. Team Talos has given me some optimism, though. When the team was announced, and now they have been, they have delivered a few solid micro-patches, it's going to take quite a bit more time to rebuild my trust and faith that EVE is on a solid course, but at least I feel like EVE is in the process of steering the ship in the correct direction. I look forward to seeing how filaments are introduced into EVE's ecosystem when they are added as a more permanent feature. What are your thoughts on filaments? Do they improve the game or not? What experiences have you had so far with filaments? We'd love to hear your thoughts. So thank you to Bismarck for writing that article. Part of the reason I wanted to share it with you guys was just because I felt it was really well written and, um, and, and thoughtful. So 
um, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts? And um, share some fun stories. We'd love to hear from you guys. But, uh, yeah, we're going to move on to uh, some story time with Ian. All right, Ian, what's your story? All right, so the other day, I'm burning back from getting stuck in no value space. I think you were there for it. Like we had, uh, we had those supers drop on us. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, yeah. We got stuck, and I just logged off, and I was so busy with work that I didn't even log in for like two days. Well, I log in, and I'm burning back, and I see this healer landing on a fort. Like after I've already been in system, and there's big bubbles on the gate. It's whatever. I don't think anything of it. Um, Naria logs in, and he he was also stuck in that system. And so he's burning back to, like, shortly after I did. And he's like, hey, you want to roam? And I was like, sure. And I was like, hey, do you, that, those systems seem pretty dead, but we could we could go to 4LNE and mess with Finavidovici. And he's like, I'm down. So he jumps into his phantasm. I'm in my Osprey Navy. And we start burning. Well, in that same system that Hilo landed, as we enter in, the fort that he landed on was right on the gate. Well, the same guy that was in the Gila is has a Sino up and he's in an Iteron and he has a Sino up and we're just like, okay, we've got to kill this. And so we go, we shoot his Iteron, blow up his Sino ship and warp away to the next gate. Cause we're going to roam up to four L and E. Well, Amnaria looks at the kill mail and is extremely surprised because it's a it's it's showing up on Z kill as 6.21 bill. And we're like, "What?" And so we're still in like a 90 AU warp to the other side of the system. And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And then he links the kill and sure enough, there were freaking two officer mods in that Iteron. Oh my god. Like no joke. Two officer mods let me see let me see if i can find them real quick one was the one unit dropped. one of them dropped yeah one was the uh, omnidirectional uh uh drone uh officer mod and the other one was a really nice sensor booster so like we land turn around warp right back gonna try and get that wreck well the dude had had docked after we blew him up and then undocked again in a gila so we're just like so, like, the first thing he does is lock me up as I land. So, we end up killing him again in the Gila after he picked up the officer's mod again, the one that dropped. <laughs> and so, I'm just like, what? This poor guy, like, has lost t- uh, one officer mod twice and one officer oh mod gosh. once. And then we pot him. And, like, he didn't even rep. The dude was in full panic mode. So, like... There's so many things he could have done to, done to like make this situation better for himself. He could have right-clicked on the fort and just put all his stuff while he was in his Iteron into the fort. He could have not locked me when he was in his Gila and aggressed me so that he could just dock with his goods. He could have actually repped while he was in his Gila because it was a pretty nice Gila fit. It would He would have at least been able to like survive a little bit longer. No, like, I'm looking at that Gila fit and it has a X-type large shield booster. I think he probably could have tanked your phantasm long enough, like for for a yeah, like time. like if he just overheated his invuln and like just repped, I think he would have been fine. He was also like able to apply a lot of DPS. Like he's a good DPS fit. He could have probably taken out Omnaya or me. Like if he really was like thinking and knew how to PVP. 
but obviously he didn't. Like I comboed him afterwards, and I was like, "Dude, what happened?" And he's just like, "I don't know." He's like, "It's just one of those situations." He was Russian, and it was like really hard conversation to have. But like, he he was he was he was cool about it, and like I I felt bad because I was like. He's like, those are my first two officer mods, and I was like, oh, that sucks. I was like, that's Evo. He's like, yep. And he's like, he's he's a good sport about it, but still, like that was the what weirdest thing. To the one that was in the Gila, did it drop a second time? No, it didn't drop again. It, it blew. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> I didn't care. I was like, we just killed two officer mods. This no, is amazing. <laughs> It means now, like, every time you kill a Sino, you're probably going to check the kill mode to see if it had anything. Oh, 100%. Like, have you ever seen a Sino fit that had anything other than a Sino and the fuel? No, because, like, you don't Never. light it. Uh, like, you assume it's going to die. Like, half the time, I, I, anytime I've Sinoed, I, self, I start a self-destruct before I put up the Sino. Like, it didn't have anything but a cyano, an afterburner, and two inertial stabilizers on the 80 fit. Like, that's all it had. An 85, and then it had a bunch of cargo. And, like, oh, it, it did drop. It's the, like, the Hewlett still dropped, like, 300 mil and stuff. Cause, like, yeah. It like, looks like a lot of, like, rogue drone stuff. Like, drone loot. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. so this guy, like, the guys in the system totally just, uh, like, everybody's gonna, like, go to the system now. <laughs> try to kill the guys that are belt ratting but yeah no it's, it's seriously it was a it was a weird weird thing and then we roamed a little bit and killed some some of the brave new bros thanks for bringing a fight by the way brave new bros you guys are awesome <laughs> shout out to smokes mcpot and his crew but yeah no it was it was a good day but it was just the randomest thing like could you imagine that's so crazy that's my story. <laughs> so, all right. I like it. All right. All right. I'll just, I'll, I'll like cut the, the things into different segments, but that's, that's pretty fun. Isn't uh, that hilarious though? Yeah. That's so nuts, dude. Like, <laughs> I can't even like, like Amnara, you know how he's, he's like kind of, he just like has to think about things a specific way. He couldn't wrap his head around it. He's just like, I don't know what happened. He just kept saying that. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. How did that happen? I have to know. He's like, could I convo the guy? Do you think it'd be weird if I convo the guy? Like he had to figure out. Like it was a mystery to him. Uh, it was so good. I love him, Mario. Dude, uh, now that you, because now I'm thinking on this, right? And I'm like. I'm looking. I know Webb does a ton of wormhole stuff and like kind of lurks around. I know Trough back from Kronos does a bunch of that kind of stuff. Like, there's some really interesting people who I don't, they don't say what they do very much, but like they have, I'm sure, very interesting stories. Like, Webb? Did Webb like show you like the picture of the chat? Did you see that chat in uh, general? That's the thing is like, I don't talk to him too much about what he's doing. I just know he does all that stuff. So I'm looking for it. In like the lobby the other day, he linked a chat. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. It's at 3.53 on the January 30th. It has like two guys that were doing like a, a video online. And uh, it has uh, two Wingspan guys saying, he'll be back. LOL. And then the other guy says, heading back. We just have to be careful of Weeb slash Web. 
Like, they literally <laughs> said that. Because, like, he's, like, the boogeyman to them right now. That's so funny. Dude, I, yeah, I want to, like, talk to Webb and, like, document his his shit against, uh, <laughs> against them. <laughs> against Wingspan. That'd be so funny. Like, the bane of their existence right now, it's hilarious to watch. Like, and you see how many kills he gets, and Wingspan's whole thing is hanging out near Jita and, and Kevin finding, yeah, yeah, and then finding holes that people are going to go through. Yeah. So, like, he's literally destroying their meta. <laughs> Single-handedly slowing down their, their ability to do things. And they're a terrified of him. I remember my fir- the, the first time I ever wanted to get into Small Gang and Nano was when I saw a Hydra Reloaded guy jump into a wormhole. This is back when I was like full-on Upholders FC kind of guy. And this Hydra Reloaded guy comes in and he's in a Vagabond and he's just killing things left and right. He's using the grid. He's, he's like burning left and burning right and killing this and killing this that that has separated themselves. And at the time, like I had no like frame of reference because wormholes are all about armor brawl. And so when I actually like watched it happen in front of me and then I was trying to catch him and I realized there's no way I'm going to catch this guy in my Ishtar. And he knows that if I get within scram range of him, he's dead. And then he's like using Rex to like warp to, to get away from me because we have the wormhole bubbled and we're like, guarding the side that he's in he's within range of warping to so he literally warps around to a wreck that's like on the other side warps back hits the edge of the bubble and can just jump out like that was my first experience with small gang and i was like whoa so like that's that's the kind of thing that i think of web doing (laughs) you just imagine like this is definitely what web is doing really i i see it's funny because like when i think about i'm like hmm, i wonder what web is doing I don't think like that. I don't think Dragor stuff. I think like I feel like he's in a cloaky Loki, you know, about to decloak and like alpha people off the field. But I'm looking at his killboard and he, he does have like Loki and Astero sometimes, but he also has like Dragor and like you know, more nor- normal kind of like nano-y stuff. And sometimes he's engaging like two to three people with his single Dragor. Yeah. And it's like it's an incredible incredible thing to see on Z-Kill because half the time these guys aren't set up to fight him. No, like, not... I'm, I'm seeing a lot of like Stratioses with like double scram or Stratioses with like armor plates or something and they just they don't they don't know how to to deal with it. <laughs> they just don't know what to do, it looks like. <laughs> no, it's literally like nanoing back in like 2012, 2013 when people just didn't know what to do to deal with it. Because wormholers, by the way. Yeah. Dude, wormholes are the uh, forgotten space of EVE Online. But yeah, I know. I take a pretty analytical approach to things. That's why I love EVE. Like, It's funny. You, you mentioned you really love EVE because of the stories and things. And, and I like those elements. But like, so much of EVE for me and why I like it is because it's so much about the analytics. Like the breaking down a situation into like core components and then figuring out what the advantage, like what the advantageous action is. Right. And, and so it's, I don't know. I, that's, well, it's, 
the thing it's I It's 100% have to after. why you're a better pilot than me, too, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Not lately. Oh, dude, so I went back into low sec recently, and I was like, all right, pretty sure I'm still, like, good at my frigate stuff, but I was, I was going to, you know, try it out. I got into, like, three different fights, and let's see, the first one was against a Comet. I was in a Kestrel. It was against a Comet, and I flew it pretty well. He, you know, he he made the right moves. He put, uh, he loaded Noel as I was trying to kite him, and I just, I just couldn't wear through his tank fast enough. But so I just, I pulled away, and I left, and I was like, I feel good. All right, I felt right, like, I played it right, good stuff. I was like, maybe little bit earlier heating or something like maybe i or maybe manage my reps a little bit better maybe i could have killed him but uh and then second fight was against um oh i might need to look it up oh it was a merlin i warped in on a merlin and uh and i landed and he was like right at zero so i was like okay I, i'm pretty confident he's blasters i start pulling away and as i i look at as i was pulling away and then checked his guns and he was definitely blaster but uh he had two webs on and uh i was flying a very specific kestrel fit that i really like and it has two webs and so i slowly started to pull away and and got out to range and uh and killed him but like when i saw that he had two webs on me i knew that even if i wasn't faster i could just warp away so i was like i was getting ready for that so i killed him felt really good then the last one the third one I went up against a bait punisher and I, I kind of knew going in, I was like, I uh, kind of assumed this guy's going to be really tanky. As I landed, I checked his guns. He had auto cannons and I was like, okay, like his damage going to be low, but you know, we'll go through it. And he was so much more tanky than I thought, like so, so much. And the funny part is like, as I, I was getting low on reps, you know, my nanite was running out. I was like, all right, it's time to leave. And so I just, I started flying straight away from him instead of aligning to something. And it's like, it's a mistake that I am more experienced than, uh, you know, I shouldn't have made this mistake. It's, you know, so anyway, I pull straight away from him and dude does the right thing. He kicks on his micro warp drive and he runs after me. And, you know, I'm trying to like heat my webs and scram to shut it back off. and and but he he's getting back onto me and then i'm like oh okay where's my warp out and in order to escape i had to like kind of turn uh you know 60 degrees or so um to get towards a, a warp out location and uh, i actually scrammed him off one time i started to make my turn and I'm, I'm getting ready to leave and then someone convos me totally like it was not intentional by them it was the Merlin pilot asking like for advice and to see my fit. <laughs> but like he convoed me in between the point where I was like ready to go and this Punisher coming back at me again. And so then this, you know, the second time I'm trying to scram him off so that I can warp, he, he got up close enough and uh, he, he just wore me down and killed me. And I was just like, I was like, oh man, like, but I, you know, it's like, I wasn't, I, I, I made mistakes early that made me die, but, uh, but it was just like the timing on that one and stuff. I was just like, oh, but it felt good to like be running around in this like 9 million-esque Kestrel and like, you know, being like, 
shaking off the frigate rust and being like, yeah, I still got it. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. You know what the Punisher makes me think of? It makes me think of NT practice with you. Like back when we were doing that and we were getting ready for the NT and how freaking powerful the Punisher was. Especially like... in that kind of format where it was so limited and stuff. The Punisher was a beast mode because it was just so tanky. It could go in and hold a battleship down. And like, if I remember correctly, it had like had a reactive and stuff. So like the Logi could keep up a Punisher, could keep it alive. And uh, it's so, so powerful. Yeah, even T was a fun format. I still don't know how I felt about like the things being pre-fit, but it was it was interesting format. A lot more of what would determine a win versus a loss was kind of the pick ban and and stuff like in composition more than um we, there were general strategies around piloting, but it was more of a you know, you kind of landed on grid and you knew all right, like I just need to go ram and kill this guy and we'll win. <laughs> you know, something like that. It was a lot of fun still though. I really enjoyed it. I wish I wish they'd do it again. Yeah. Hint hint. I mean it was like a lower bar of entry than Alliance tournament, because you only needed five people, everything was pre fit and it was on a test server, right? Like that was the that was the fun part. Um but yeah, uh, and, and so like, and actually, I think, I'm trying to remember, I feel like at least one of the teams that was involved in Even T then later got did Alliance tournament, but they hadn't they hadn't done like any tournament stuff before that. Um, it's like one. You talking about Ronnie? Hmm. Ronnie? No, like one of the teams that oh, were, okay. like faced in Even T. It was like kind of one of the newer like newer corp teams i'd have to go back and look at footage and stuff but um and then like later the next year they they started doing alliance tournament because they had done even t and kind of gained some of that experience and learned how to you know how to run practices and stuff and so yeah no even t format i think that was literally chronos ritual dude it could have been actually because like when I was doing EVNT with you, we were not friends. You were on Vortex team. Yeah, yeah. I was on Diametrically Opposed or whatever meme name we had that year. And you guys absolutely destroyed us in practice. It was like me, Jocastus, Griff. Um, Wait, what was, was your guys' team name? Was it the, the Drake Navy issue meme? It was like something like Drake Navy Utility High? Or, or <laughs> there was somebody that had, there was one team that had that as their name. Like it was utility high. It was whatever Griff named it because and he's so freaking creative. Him or Jocastus named it, and you know they're both super creative and good at that <laughs> kind of thing. Like I was just like, I just want to go. <laughs> I just want to do this, and I ended up picking not to be on the team because there was another guy that I felt was a better pilot than me because I was the captain. Like mm, Griff was I like, hey, you, okay. yeah, I was the captain for our team, and then uh, Griff was like. Uh, talking to me about it and i was like dude this guy is a better pilot than me he needs to be on the team and i shouldn't be because i'm like i'm i'm decent but i'm still not good enough at nano and at that time i recognized it and he was like are you sure and i was like yeah you're gonna have to be the captain because he ended up being the captain his name's hunter hughes was what his name was he was <laughs> and he ended up kind of 
like choking a little bit and <laughs> not doing so hot. He was just flying in an oracle and he got scrammed like instantly Ooh. and just destroyed. Yeah. Like he was like zero meters per second moving. And that's just like, what? Like I was watching it and I was like, oh no. Yeah. But like practicing with Vordax team and you guys like really changed how we thought about it. Because first off, one of the things that I learned about AT practice that I thought was really cool was do the same fits, do the same ships and do it over and over. You yeah. want to see if you having using different tactics brings different results and doing that and using the same comps like more than one time in a row like at first i was like why are they doing this this is dumb we just lost to this comp why don't we switch it up and uh they're like no we want to do it again this way and i was talking to vordak and he's and he kind of explained it to me because he was like dude no this is how you want to do it and this is why and i was like oh interesting because like the first match we won and we were just like feeling so good about ourselves. And then we went on to lose 12 more in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, what in the world happened? And uh, I can only imagine what your guys' comments sounded like. But like for us, we were just like, oh, well, this is awesome. And then we lost 12 in a row. And we're like, oh, it's not so great. No. And, and like, so the thing I love about tournaments in general, like whether it's even T or Alliance tournament, is that testing phase because it's like what you do is you distill your tactics and and you you try different things right different strategies or what have you you see what you know your success or failure is and then you go okay you know do we change ships do we change composition do we change bits like what what is the the key point that is causing an issue that's and and you slowly improve, but like then within that though, as a pilot, right, you're going into the same setup, the same situations over and over and over, and you're trying to execute differently. So it just like it teaches you so much as a pilot. Like, okay, last time when I went in, the Gila threw his drones on me. So like this time, I've got to be prepared for that. Uh, I'm gonna go in, but if the Gila throws his drones on me, I'm gonna come back away, try to break drone control range, or like you know, like all these different things. And then if that doesn't work, next time you go in, you go, okay, the drones are coming. Last time I tried to run run away, but then I couldn't help my team. This time I'm gonna keep going in, but I'm gonna scram one of the drones away and see if I live. Like you know, it's like all these little like key things, and then come match day, like you're charging in, you see a Gila, and you like scram one drone. You web the other drone, you're hauling in, you know, then you get tackle on a, on their logistics and, you know, you stay in just long enough until, you know, your secondary tackle gets there and, and calls a scram. And then you start to peel off and you go back towards your logistics so you can get reps. Meanwhile, like the Gila drones are still chasing you. So you're leading the drones away. And it's like all those things build up, though. It's like it started with a getting blapped by Gila drones and then slowly figuring out how to work around that system or something, you know? And then Dude. by the end of it, you're doing this crazy complex set of actions that enable you to, to get a, like a key victory. You could not have used like a better word to describe that distilling. I love that so much. You're literally 100% correct. Like cooking off the, the bad habits and the, 
the 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 bad thought processes on how to engage. That's literally what you're doing in this 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 super like intense process. It's yeah. the, the, you used like the perfect word for it, distilling. I love that so much. Oh my and gosh. It's, it's just cool because it's that format, right? You're in this enclosed space. You have limitations and, and you can really, you know, in, in Nano, a lot of times you can do some of those tactics, but you can't commit to going in and scramming something sometimes because, you know, there might be other stuff coming in or there might be, a Cerberus shooting you from 100 kilometers, like there might be a lot of other things, you know. Um, but in that format, it's so concentrated. See, I'm just using synonyms for distill. It's so concentrated, <laughs> and you know the rules and and the the limitations placed on the other team, and you can leverage those instances. You can you can force an error or. Um, or capitalize on, you know, uh, get, uh, getting that scram for five seconds or something. And uh, and that's that's the cool part, like, for me. And that's, like, it's so hard to, to communicate those kinds of things to a, an audience. It's, uh, but it, and it's just because so much of our game is built on interface. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought that, so, like, in PUBG, you can zoom in to, like, the person's, uh, the other person's perspective, and I always thought if alliance tournament like back you know back when they they had the overview and stuff, and it, it's it's cool to like zoom in on a ship in the in terms of the camera, but if you could actually see what the player's client looked like, or I I don't know how you do that because of overview and and you know you don't you don't want to give away their fits, but if you could see like you go into their perspective and you see where they're where they're clicking and kind of what modules they're activating and stuff like that it it would be so much more interesting um and and like that is i'm sure super technically challenging um but yeah like i don't know i just i always thought that would and that's part of why like i liked recording those and um i liked watching people's recordings of those uh, matches and even practices because it's just so much more interesting to see how the person is going in and approaching and and managing what you know what they're getting shot by than really like the overarching uh, progress of the match um, and that which is still fun as an audience member to see but but yeah like that's what allows you to really tell the stories of alliance tournament pilots is not not the winning of the match but the the five second scram by an interceptor that allowed your team to win you know i 100 agree that was just the most fun part so fun i miss it we need it back ccp i'll give you a teaser next episode we are gonna sit down with three alliance tournament people and we're actually going to, the whole episode will be about the Alliance tournament and, you know, some stories and also like why we would love to see it come back. So um, that'll be next episode. Uh, if, if everything scheduling wise goes well, it'll be Casper 24, uh, Elise Randolph and shoot. 
can't remember the third person. It was another oh, and Wild Things. So so that could be really good and and fun. Elise had an article on Reddit that was really insightful about the Alliance tournament, and so uh, that's kind of like Pharaoh reached out to him and was talking to him, and we'd been wanting to do an Alliance tournament episode for a long time, kind of talking about like Alliance tournament ships and different things, and we we're just trying to figure out formatting and like who who to talk to and stuff. Um, and and so it'll be interesting, and, and those guys, like all three of them, are super experienced Alliance tournament people. Lise has been a multiple time commentator. Like Lise has been involved in even T on the production side, and so it's uh, looking to be a pretty good little episode. And with that, I want to go ahead and start wrapping up this episode. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to our Patreons. Um, we've had a few more Patreons come in recently, and uh, it's super awesome. So there will be a few more people added into the, the VIP chat. <laughs> um, so just a huge thanks to uh, Binary Seder, uh, Zalorb, or Zalorb. No, I've, I've chatted with both you guys. Um, Corey Eagle and January Valentine. Um, those are our four, our, our four VIP patrons and uh, really, really helps out. Um, uh, I know Farrell definitely appreciates it and Lastly, I wanted to mention that within our little community, we did a Plex for Good campaign. I know that there's been a lot of excitement around the gold magnate that was auctioned off, and then uh, the proceeds were donated to Plex for Good, which was super awesome. That was like 3.2 trillion isk, essentially. It was a, a million Plex. Um, within our community, we had a lot of people donating assets, and then um, I, I kind of matched that value with the Plex, and um, we generated um, like 30 billion isk worth of, of Plex uh, to donate. And a, a big part of that came from, um, there was a corporation, Hateful Intent, they're good friends of mine, and their whole corporation was doing an eviction, and they actually took the entire uh, proceeds of that eviction and donated it. So that was like 15 billion right there. Um, there were people like Casper24 donated a VEDMAC victory skin, and then someone bought that at a at an added price, and so um, kind of got some extra money there. Um, Mr. Snowden donated a skin for a dragger uh, that then was auctioned off, and we had a Loki auction. Those auctions were actually really fun, um, <laughs> and I had a lot of t fun just like seeing people trying to snipe bids and different stuff. Um, so it was really fun. And then you know there were also a couple of people who just you know donated a hundred plex, and being able to lump that all together and and donate to plex for good was really cool. Uh, so that's always a great charity event, and the fact that our community was able to get involved and help out. Um, is really exciting to me. I, I really, I think that's a, a really cool part of our community on Discord. So if you're not in our Discord, um, think about hopping in there. There's a lot of cool stories that are being shared in uh, the storytelling channel. Um, you know, Plex for Good, we had a channel. And, and as more and more things kind of pop up, we'll create more channels and just kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a really fun interactive community. So uh, feel free to jump in there and and hang out and we'd appreciate it and love chatting with you guys and so without further ado just remember it's not the size of your gang that matters it's about how you use it 
Favorite's gonna listen to this and just be like, oh god, like, what, a, what a clusterfuck. Yan Shartuskiev. Yan Shurs. Yan. Yan Skeshetuski. Shit. Shit. Ah, fuck it. <laughs> Just remember, it's not about the size of your gang, it's about the motion of the commotion.